We were supposed to teach on follow-up today, but uh, I then changed that and spoke to our leaders about it uh, because you do remember we had started uh, at the beginning of last month to talk about Lent, if you remember, and talking about what Lent means and its significance to us as the Christian community. And I really felt that the message I lent would be totally incomplete if we did not conclude it today. Because some of you might not know, but I think a good number of you are aware that today, according to the Christian tradition, this particular Sunday is recognized and commemorated as what? Palm Sunday. Look at your neighbor who didn't say anything and say, who And so, Palm Sunday is derived from the entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, what we call Jesus' triumphal entry. So I'm going to talk about that. But the message on follow-up, nevertheless, is available on our website, and I think they can post uh, the link, and you can just see the link up on the screen. That's where you'll be able to uh, connect, because we've been so encouraged by the way many of you have won people to the Lord, and we want to give you tools and how to follow them up, and, and how to help them. As a matter of fact, I have a uh, we will revisit some of these things after Good Friday. But please, that's the link wherein you can download the teaching that I was going to do today on follow-up. It's a very practical uh, teaching, you know. And I must congratulate you, Bazalona, for uh, getting to that point where you are leaving the ranks of the civilians. And now you are, you are operating as soldiers of the kingdom and participants in God's kingdom. There are still a few of you who are spectators. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope you are not one of them spectators. Yeah, but uh, there's no way the church can advance its mission, Bazalana, if everybody doesn't get involved. So we really would love to encourage all of you, every one of you. And the good thing are these teachings that we're giving, they're practical. You know, we teach in such a way that anyone as long as you're willing, you can practice. And there's something about uh, practicing God's word that's different, like you saw on the clip, you know. But you can see the excitement in the man. Because once you start working for God, there's something that happens to you. Amen. So today, I want us to look at the eight things that we need to understand about Palm Sunday. Our main scripture is John 12, from verse 12 to verse 19. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, 
Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they then remembered that these things were written about him and they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Luke, the world has gone after him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. This passage of scripture unfolds in Jerusalem at a very important time, which is round about this time, wherein, as you will all remember from what we have learned in the past, God had instructed his people to celebrate certain feasts. There were seven of those feasts in total, but they would celebrate them three times in a year, and therefore they would have to travel from wherever they are back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a small place, small city, which at that time and even now only was a home for a few thousand people, not that many. However, at this time of these celebrations, the three different celebrations, history tells us that there would be anywhere between 150 to 250,000 people in this small city. It was not exclusively the Jews who came, but even those who had embraced the belief in Jehovah God and had become proselytes. It was required of them to travel from wherever they are and come to Jerusalem for the celebration of these feasts. So this passage unfolds at this time, you can imagine, where Jerusalem was a hub of activity, bustling with lots of people, lots of activity, people from around the world. They had come in this instance to celebrate the Passover feast, a feast that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. It had been prophesied by the prophets of old that the Messiah would come, one who would bring peace and freedom and would be the king of the Jews. So they'd look forward to this Messiah and year in and year out they would have these ceremonial occasions wherein there are certain ceremonies they do, all of them being a type or a shadow or a figure of the real that is to come. Now, after many years, they were about to move from the shadow to the real. They were to move from the type to the antitype. They were to move from sitting and looking through a glass darkly. Now they were entering into reality. When you study the movements of our Lord Jesus Christ during this time, it seems like for the last 40 days, he had more or less made his way to Jerusalem. He was going there fully knowing what was going to happen to him. He was going there fully knowing that prophecy must be fulfilled. Everything written about him must be fulfilled. And it will be very interesting as we go through our lesson today to note how many of the things that happened in the Old Testament were simply a shadow or a prefigure of the real that was to come. And some of the historical things that happened were simply a picture of the real that was to come. And so this triumphal entry, therefore, into Jerusalem is recorded in the four Gospels. In John, as we've read, 
but also in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke chapter 19. And when you read them side by side, you will know that there are variances here and there. This is where oftentimes people who don't read the Bible much like to say that the Bible contradicts itself. And they say, now why is this story written differently? Well, I want to ask you something. If you and your wife or your best friend go to an event, right, or something happens, and you come back from the event and you begin to tell the story about what happened, and some of you, you'll find out who are getting married and so on soon, right? Yeah. So you'll know that when you tell the story of what happened, it's, it's, it's different. Now, the gist of what happened remains, but there are certain details that are different. For instance, I've noted my bishop and I, when we have met people and when we talk about people and we try to make reference to, you know, we saw this lady and she'll say, yeah, this lady who was wearing pink, you know. I say this lady who was tall, she says she was wearing pink. She saw the pink, I saw the tall. Who's right, who's wrong? We are all right. Nobody is wrong because the pink and the tall were all there. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And this is, this, this is the thing that even when we have experienced something, we don't all tell the same story. Simply because we're not one and the same person. So it's, it, it just makes sense. Even for the gospel writers, as much as they were at the same occasion, the way they write about it, they differ in what they say. Not so much in the gist of the story. But in those smaller details, I mean, we all agreed that we met a person. Whether she was pink or tall, it doesn't make a difference, but it's a person. It is not women learn no more. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? So when you read the Gospels, therefore, on this story, you know that there are a few variances. But this is the story from which we, as the Christian community, derive this commemoration of Palm Sunday. You do remember, Palm Sunday then reflects this triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It becomes the final Sunday of Lent for the 40 days where we have been fasting, where we have been in, in contemplation, where we have been studying, doing all these things. According to the Christian tradition, the last Sunday preceding Good Friday has been set aside for, for Palm Sunday. And so on our current year, Palm Sunday therefore falls today, just a day before my birthday, on the 2nd of April. That just show you how holy I am. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's just a joke, all right? Just, uh, please, I'm just teasing. Please, please, please. Don't send any WhatsApps or anything. Please, 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 please. Okay, I'm just teasing. Yeah, just erase that from there, whatever. Right? But just happens to fall on the 2nd of April, 2023. In our text, therefore, we see this arrival of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, which started the long journey of what we call his passion. Christ's passion is the period in the Bible where Jesus goes through hardship, suffering, death, burial, and of course, eventually, resurrection. And this Palm Sunday seems to be the beginning of that. Christ arrives, various events happened there, and I want you to note a few things about this particular event that happened in Jerusalem, which I think the Bible, you know, uh, 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 records them and they're of great significance. Number one, Jesus and his disciples had come from Jericho. They arrived there uh, uh, within the Mount of Olives in Bethany or in Bethpage. Now, it said that also, uh, when you read the Gospels, as I said, 
you know that he came in here and Jesus, uh, this whole thing happens and the crowd begins to acknowledge who he was. But before that, once Jesus came into this village, he tells two of his disciples to go and fetch a donkey, all right? Now, he knew where the donkey was, okay? He knew exactly the address where the donkey would be, and he instructs his disciples to go and find the donkey. You'll be surprised how he knew. How did he know? Well, when you read the Bible, you'll know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about the gifts of the Spirit, one of them being the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is when God gives you a part of his knowledge about present and current things, and even things of the past. So through the word of knowledge, Jesus knew that there would be a donkey that would be tied at a specific place, and he sends his disciples to go and get this donkey. And he says to them, if they question you, just tell them the Lord needs it. It's amazing that he chooses the words, the Lord needs it. He is announcing through this that the one who needs it is not just the ordinary one, but he is the Lord. He is announcing and giving an insight that this one who needs the cult is the king. Jesus is giving them an insight. They didn't get it. As you see in our text, when they went through all of this, they didn't understand what was happening except later when they tried to replay and reflect. You know, it's almost like the, 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 the soccer channels where in, on Monday they go back to the match. And then when you think a penalty must have been given, you know, or when you were watching the match on Saturday or when you were at the match, you thought we was robbed at the, at the stadium on Saturday. But on Monday, when they go back and the analysts sit down to go through the events that happened on Saturday and they go into slow motion and replay, then you see, you realize, no, I was not robbed. It was not a penalty. So the disciples later on, in reflecting on what happened, only realized in hindsight, this Jesus was beginning to announce to us who he is. He was showing us who he is as the king. He was announcing to us in line with the prophecies that had gone on before him. So once he instructs them and he says, tell them that the Lord needs it and it will return shortly. So the disciples did what he asked. Now, depending on which of the gospels you read, you'll know that the bystanders either had no reaction or some of them asked why the donkey was being taken. And so Jesus asked for this donkey and the donkey is brought to him and he rides on that donkey. Some of the gospel says there were two donkeys, but we know that he rode only one. It doesn't matter it's red or it's pink, all right? It's a donkey oxalayo. But all of this fulfills prophecy because he is not riding a horse. He's riding a donkey. Think about that. All right? He's coming as a king, but funny, he's riding a donkey, not a horse. Why is that? We'll find out about it. Fourthly, we note that as he comes into Jerusalem, the disciples lay their cloaks and branches on the road, and Jesus rides through Jerusalem from Bethany to Bethpage, and the crowd begins to cry, variant ways of exclamation, Hosanna, note. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew that they would have to make this chant and sing this song and make this declaration according to the prophecies that had gone before. Now, don't, please don't misunderstand. It wasn't everybody in Jerusalem who did this. Note, when you read further, you note that it was just those who recognized him as the Messiah. 
And funny enough, the religious leaders of the day didn't recognize him as the Messiah. But everybody else who followed him recognized him as the Messiah and they give this chant and know what they say. Blessed is the king of Israel. In other words, they're saying, this king that we had been waiting for is finally here. But it's kind of an oxymoron here because naturally, even in those days, if any distinct someone came for a visit, if an ambassador or a, a president of another country visit us, Usually it becomes a big event where we roll out the red carpet and there's a number of people and dictators in attendance. It is the top of the social structure, strata rather, that is there to come and welcome this distinct person. But funny enough, it seems like in the case of Jesus the king, it wasn't the top structures that were there, but it was the ordinary regular people, the men and the women who are blue collar workers who were there. The religious institution that was supposed to be the first one to welcome him had distanced themselves from him because they were not recognizing him as the king. They didn't see when prophecy was fulfilled and that's the nature of people. When God promises us something and when God tells us he's going to do something, we have a way of trying to reason out how God is going to do it. We have a way of placing it on a certain rank. And when it comes in a way that we didn't expect, we look at it and we turn our back on it and not realizing he came to his own, but his own received him not. He came as a king, but they didn't recognize him. And so the people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And so Jerusalem watches therefore as this crowd gathers around Jesus and begin to stroke him with palm leaves as he passes, blessing him. And we know that his journey ends in the temple as you read where he went to the temple and he challenged the religious leaders. Now, there are several symbols, therefore, of Palm Sunday that we find in this text. And I want us to go through those symbols. Symbols that are mentioned throughout the gospel that detailed Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Some of the most prominent symbols, there are many, just a few. The first one is the palm fronds or the leaves of the palms. The Christian people, as a result of what happened on this day, have this practice that on Palm Sunday, they take the leaves of the palm tree and they knot them into crosses. Like you see that cross at the bottom of the screen there. Uh, it is uh, my left, your right. Okay, right there, right there. As you see that uh, cross and the, and the, and the should I, which way do I go? And the palm right there, or they're moving me with the camera. Right, that's where we are. And so palm leaves, therefore, when you read scripture, they symbolize something. Because when Jesus came, it was palm leaves that were put on the ground. Not leaves of any other tree. They had all kinds of trees. You know, I was surprised uh, during the week, I went through the different trees that are mentioned in the Bible and the significance of them. There are so many of them. So many of them, you know. But why the palm tree in particular? Note the following. Palm leaves symbolize victory. Rejoicing and eternal life. Watch this. Even though Jesus, starting with him walking into Jerusalem, this was the day that was leading up, or the week that was leading up to his crucifixion. He's going to be crucified 
He's going to die, but in that he declares victory. He's going to suffer, but in that he declares rejoicing. He's going to die, but still he proclaims eternal life. Which shows us this. Though Jesus was going through a time that would be difficult, it would seem like he was at the mercy of circumstances. <laughs> but I want you to know, Jesus voluntarily went through this process. The Bible tells us that he was not killed. He laid down his life. Because our God is always in control, no matter what happens. And Jesus is saying through this, and on walking in palms, on, on the palm leaves, that though I may be going through the garden of Gethsemane, on the other side of Gethsemane there is rejoicing. Though it may seem like the princes of this world have won, but if the princes of this world knew what they were doing when they were crucifying the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have done it. Even though it, I am going to be crucified and I'm going to die, but on the third day I will rise again. Death will be swallowed up in the victory of resurrection. And Jesus is telling us through these palm trees that he is not at the mercy of circumstances. You see, God is always in charge, even in your life and my life. Even if things look like they are falling apart. Am I talking to people in this house? Even if it seems like life is not making sense to you right now, God is in charge. Even if it seems like things are not making sense, I want you to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in charge of your life. And so Jesus walks on these palm trees, which are also a type of grace, elegance, faithfulness, and uprightness. Because Psalms 92 verse 12 tells us that the, the upright shall flourish like palm trees. And Jesus is saying, even if it seems like you are going down, you are just like a seed that dies and goes down and it's planted in the ground, but that's not the end of you. Because through being planted in the ground, that's how you are being prodded and you are being energized and you are being booted into life again. And Jesus walks in on those palm trees. And then he is riding on a donkey or a colt. He rides in Jerusalem on a donkey and a colt. Very interesting. Donkeys in the Bible hold a very interesting meaning because these animals were never written by kings except in special occasions. A king was a man of war. A king was like the general of an army. And kings rode horses. They'd ride on a war horse not on a donkey. So Jesus rides on a donkey, declaring that he is a king, but he's not a king who wields a sword, not a king who brings bombs and all of that. He's a king who brings peace. And he rides on a donkey, and we'll revisit that again. But then we see him being symbolized as our Lord Jesus Christ, who is going through this period and in his life, making these days his final days and getting in Jerusalem as the triumphal savior. Now, eight things that we need to understand, and I'm going to restate some of those. Number one, Jesus, by going into Jerusalem and having this entry, he is claiming his rightful place as the prophesied Messiah. Now, I want us to go back in the Bible and just show you everything about our Lord Jesus Christ had been prophesied over thousands and thousands of years. And every prophecy was fulfilled to the most minute detail. 
so, so that there is no question in anybody's mind that he is the one. Because you see, when God makes a promise, he keeps to his promise. The problem with many people, we are rather in a hurry to see what God say come to pass. But let me tell you, God is not a man to lie. God is not the son of man to change his mind. If God has said something on your life, and if it comes from God on your life, it doesn't matter how long it takes, as long as you still have breath in your lungs, it will come to pass. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. And Jesus, with all the prophets that had prophesied, major prophets, minor prophets, yeah, they were there those days. But it was not major one. Major prophets, minor prophets, all of them who were there, they had prophesied, they had said something about his coming. In Zechariah 9, 9, Zechariah says, Behold, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious. He is humble and riding on an ass, on a cold, the foal of an ass. So by riding on this donkey, Jesus was making an announcement that Zacharias' messianic prophecy is coming to pass. This is why when the crowds woke up to this, they say, wow, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail our king. They were saying, truly you are the king who has come as the offshoot or as the descendant of David. You are the one that the prophets have been talking about. Number two, Jesus rode a donkey to symbolize peace, as I mentioned earlier. Kings didn't ride horses, didn't ride donkeys rather, but they rode war horses. Jesus, in this instance, rides a donkey. Very interesting. But please, when you read about him in the book of Revelation, at the close of everything, we see him riding a horse. He's going to take a different posture. He is now a man of war, riding a horse, with the sword of the Spirit coming out of his mouth. But for now, for now, he's a man of peace. He's the one who is bringing peace. Peace in your heart. Peace among people. Peace between men and God. He is the one who is saying to you, I can give peace to you. Peace in your heart. It's time for peace now, but time of war is coming later. And we see Jesus riding a donkey. This is what Mark Boda say, an author, and I want to uh, quote, and I quote, he says, in the ancient Middle East world, leaders rode horses if they rode to war. But donkeys, they would ride only if they came in peace. For instance, in 1 Kings 133, it mentions Solomon riding on a donkey on the day he was recognized as the new king of Israel. Then we have other instances where donkeys were ridden by kings. For instance, in Judges 5.10, Judges 10.4, Judges 12.14, and 2 Samuel 16.2. Judges 5.10, 10, 10.4, 12.14, 2 Samuel 16.2. Donkeys are mentioned there. And we note, therefore, that in Zechariah 9.9, what we read, it fits that description perfectly, where it says this, the righteous and those who are having salvation, where it describes a king, rather, who would be righteous 
and having salvation. In other words, rather than riding to conquer, this king is riding to enter into peace. This king comes to bring peace. Note what Zechariah 9.10 says, and we will take it apart in a short while. These are the highlights. He says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Note the detail that is symbolic of peace in this prophecy. Number one, he says he will take away the chariots. In other words, he's not going to use these chariots which are the main vehicle of war. It's going to take away the chariots. Secondly, he says it will take away the war horses. We've already explained. We don't need horses because we're not going to war. But then he says he will take away the battle bow, which will be broken. In other words, there's no need for a bow and an arrow because we are not fighting. This is not war. Then he says he will proclaim Peace to the nation. In other words, his message is not a message of war. It's a message of reconciliation among people. He is reconciling men to God. He is reconciling men to men. He is reconciling uh, 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 enemies to enemies, nations to nations. He is a man of reconciliation. But then it says, and his rule shall be from sea to sea. In other words, he will rule everywhere, but not through the barrel of the gun. He will have control over every territory and he will do so by peace. And so Jesus fulfills this prediction, therefore, by riding on a horse and he rides on it. No wonder at his birth, the angels made this announcement in Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. This Jesus rides on the horse to say that he is the king of peace. He is the Lord of peace. And when he comes into your life, he will give you peace. When it comes into your family, he will give your family peace. When it comes into your company, he will give you peace. When it comes into your church, he will give you peace. Jesus Christ is the King of peace. And this peace is not, doesn't come because of the barrel of the gun or through wall. It's a peace that comes because he is the God who gives peace. On a personal level, he gives you the peace that passes all understanding. He gives you peace between you and God so that you can stand before God without a sense of sin, without a sense of guilt, without a sense of condemnation. You stand there knowing fully well, yonking to right between me and God. And I don't have to do anything because of this king of peace. Can I hear a shout and an amen? Number three, Jesus comes in and journeys on a donkey's back. And this is an interesting thing because This is a foreshadow that we saw back in the day of Abraham and Isaac. So Jesus goes back to a type and a shadow. You remember when Abraham was instructed by God, Abraham was instructed by God to give his only son. And he went up on the mountain he went up on, the, up on the mountain called Moria, the same mountain called Golgotha. So a father takes his only begotten son to go and sacrifice him. 
but they go up on the mountain and he is riding on a donkey. So Isaac was a picture of Jesus Christ who is to come. So when he's riding on this donkey, he's simply declaring what you saw Isaac doing. It was just a shadow. Now what you're looking at is the real that is here. I have come for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like, Can I hear a good amen in the house? And Jesus becomes that only begotten son. Number four, his triumphal entry on a donkey Interesting enough also symbolizes God's blessing on his people. It's very interesting to note that donkeys would be included in what is given to people when they are being blessed. In Genesis 49 from verse 10, we note that Jacob's divine blessing over his son Judah include a reference to a donkey and a donkey's foal. It reads as follows, Genesis 49, 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be. He will tether his donkey, watch this now, to a vine. He's called to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine. Underline all that. Or note that. Or highlight that. Whether you have an e-Bible or an or uh, whatever you have, just underline or highlight, all right? All right. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Hey. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than the milk. Hey. Jesus Christ, born of the tribe of Judah, eternally enthroned, Jacob's prophecy de describes this king. This king who would be blessed and who would be God's blessing. He describes this king. He says this king will be, will wash in, will be washed with wine. What is that? The blood of Jesus. He says this king, his teeth will be white. What is he talking about? Purity. He says this king is the one who's going to come this way. And so Jesus Christ become that one whom God has brought. When he rode on a donkey, he was saying to people, I am here as God's blessing. Not only as God's blessing, as the one who's going to bless your lives. I am that king who obviously is going to be washed in blood. I am that king who brings purity. I am that king who brings blessing in your life. And so Jesus, in riding the donkey, was trying to tell us all that when we come to Christ, not only is it a blessing that Jesus died for us and he was raised from the dead, but the coming of Christ in our lives removes all the dinyama and all the bad luck because we are blessed. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he starts by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Ebasalana, I am not looking at people who are cursed here. I'm looking at people who are blessed. We are not blessed because of our efforts. We are not blessed because of what we do. We are blessed because of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who rode on a donkey and he is bringing blessing in your life. Oh, don't call yourself cursed. Don't call yourself when they ask you how are you just tell them I am blessed not because of my efforts but because of what he has done and so Jesus his entry 
tells us God's blessing comes upon his people. No longer will people walk under God's curse, but they'll walk under the blessing of God, of course, if they obey what God has told them. And he has made it available to them. The book of Galatians tells us that the blessing of Abraham has come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And that's because of who Jesus is in our lives. Number five, Jesus' triumphal journey teaches us that after all the sacrifices offered for sin, after everything he went through, we can enter into rest. The rest of faith because of his sacrifice. Watch this. Exodus 23, 12 says this, interesting. God says, you can work for six days. Work for six days. Ha, ha, ha. But on the seventh day, do not work. Watch, he mentions. So that your ox and your... Oh, I don't hear you. Your ox and your what? Your ox and your what? May do what? May rest. When Jesus came riding on a donkey. He was making a prophetic utterance. Human beings, you have worked for long to try and gain the favor of God. You have worked trying to keep the laws and the commandments and you have brought sacrifices. You've had to have ceremony after ceremony and going this way and that way and all the process and now you can rest. You can, as you young people say, you can chill. Now you can chill. You don't have to do that anymore. I will do it for you. I'm the one who will fulfill the law on your behalf. I will obey everything that God has done. But all you need to do is just to believe on me. Receive me, Jesus, as Savior and Lord of your lives. He's declaring to us. And if you receive me as Savior and Lord of your life, you enter into God's rest. Yeah. Think about it, Barcelona. You know, I was thinking about it the, the, the one time I was going through this. To think about all the ceremonies that the children of Israel had to enter into. Seven distinct, seven distinct feasts. Seven. And go read them in the Old Testament. Every one of them has a long list of the process. What you must use, the amounts, which time of the day, how you must walk, how you must look, everything. And then you understand what I'm saying? Imagine, I don't know how many of you know, when the priests went into the Holy of Holies to go and offer sacrifices there and rather offer the blood on the, on the mercy seat, they had to tie bells on their cloak so that as he's busy with his work, you know, then the, you know, because the cloak is moving, the bells would ring. So as long as the bells are ringing, we know that the brother is alive. And they would also tie a rope. Yeah, they would tie a rope on his ankle that would be leading out because they couldn't go in there. So as long as the bells were ringing, we knew that young king to a right. But sometimes the priest would do one thing wrong and zap. And imagine Barcelona having to do all of that. Oh, Jesus rides on a donkey, says, Bonangne. I have given you a reprieve. Eh? It's like debt cancellation. Come on now. Are you there, Basala? It's like, it's like you, you will rest. Eh? You, can, you can chill. You, you don't have to do all of that. All you need to do is to believe that I died for you on the cross. I died for you on the cross. You don't have to go through all of that. Slaughtering chicken and, 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 and goats and bulls and lambs and going to Jerusalem every year, having incense and oil and corn and wheat and leaves and wave the things and tie a rope. And, You've worked for six days. The seventh day is here. Now you can rest. Can I hear an amen? 
Yeah, this is why people don't understand the topic of being born again. When you tell them how to be born again and they go, is it that easy? Yeah. It's meant to be a restful process. Are you there, Bazalana? It's meant to be. Is it that easy? Yeah. Yeah. You just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you get saved. If you are here today and you have never been born again, there's a chance for you to be born again. You don't need to go through all that. But human beings, it's hard for us to accept simple things that come from God. We want to work for it. We want to suffer. You know, it's almost like if can't be easy. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, don't act like you don't know what the man is talking about. Yeah. But with God, it's all by the grace of God. It is that simple. All by the grace of God. All by the grace of God. Why? So that it can be available to all. But the part about it that's tough is that therefore on the day of judgment, no one will be with any excuse. Because it was that simple. And it was that free. He rides on a donkey to show us we've entered into rest. Now rest according to God's description is not absence of labor. It's not that we are not working. You know, we still have to work. and whatever, But we are not working to get God's approval. We are not working to try and go to heaven. We receive his grace. And as a result of receiving his grace, we work for him. So our work is not from a position of trying to get approval. It's from a position of rest. You know, it's almost like when you go to work for something that you like. Have you ever woken up and gone to work for something that you like? You love your work so much that you don't even realize that you have worked overtime. You know, you're not looking at the watch. I know some of you, you are looking at the watch. How onaka 80, just two, two seconds to eight, you start working. And then if you're knocking off at four o'clock already by half past three, you're no longer taking phone calls. You've already, I, I, I see some people laughing in this section. I won't talk about this lady that I'm looking at right, right in front of me here. She's trying to hide. Bless the Lord. Already by half past three, you're not taking any calls. Your bag is already ready. Come on, guys. Your, your bag is already there. Everything is packed. You're just waiting. In fact, you're, in fact, in fact, in fact, let's tell the truth. By four o'clock, you, you're already at the gate. Means you don't enjoy this. But when you're at rest, you wonder that it's already six o'clock. And end of the month, they still pay you for doing what you love. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Number six. Number six. We are told that in these days, emissaries used to send donkeys overloaded with gifts to appease the wrath of an enemy and to prevent bloodshed. So they would send a donkey packed with all kinds of treasures. We have examples of this. In Genesis 33:8, Jacob sent donkeys packed with treasures to avoid the wrath of his brother Esau. <laughs> we read about it in 1 Samuel 25:26. Abigail brought donkeys packed with food to keep David from killing her family. And Jesus rides on a donkey. Why? To appease the wrath of a God who wants to judge the world. And Jesus is the gift that's on the donkey. That's riding in. And God sees this gift. And he is appeased. And his anger is abated. 
And instead of visiting his wrath and his anger on mankind, he visits his wrath and his anger on Jesus Christ. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. And he has been chastised by God. He says the chastisement that was meant for our peace was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed. He became like the lightning arrester. You know, when you look at these houses that are built out of thatch, and the roof is made out of thatch, we know that when lightning strikes, they burn quite bad. And so they will erect a very long lightning arrester, like a long aerial, so that when the lightning strikes, it doesn't strike the house. It strikes the lightning arrester. So when the, when the, when the, when the, when the lightning strikes that lightning arrester, that lightning arrester takes the strike and saves the people in the house. When Jesus was riding on the donkey, he was saying, God, strike me, not them. Chastise me, not them. He has a gift to appease your anger. And his blood was able to appease the anger of a holy God. When the blood of bulls and goats could not do it. Because they had to bring the bulls and the goats year in and year out and year in and year out. But the blood of bulls and goats could not appease the anger and the wrath of God. But this real lamb of God entered into the holy place with his blood only once. And that blood for 2,000 years has appeased the anger of God and anyone who will acknowledge the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I want you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. They don't have to come under the anger of God. They can receive grace and salvation and mercy. And in conclusion, very interesting. God used the donkey to speak judgment. We see the donkey of Balaam speaking judgment to the prophet. We see Samson killing the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey in Judges 15. We see in 1 Kings 13 how a prophet who was a false prophet was devoured by lions, but the lions wouldn't kill the donkey. The donkey watched safely, watched and stood there. And the lions didn't eat the donkey, but the donkeys carried the slate prophet home. Note, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, as much as it was a positive announcement, but it was also an announcement of judgment because there are those who rejected him. And he said, because you rejected me, judgment is going to come your way. He came riding on the donkey to talk about the judgment of God. And that's why later on in Matthew 21, 12, he went to the temple, pushed the tables aside and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Sorry, that was number seven. Number eight is my concluding remark. Donkeys were always used by regular people, ordinary people, humble people. Because humble people couldn't afford a horse. It's too expensive. And the donkey often is used to carry burdens always overloaded with duties. You're interesting. This king 
even before his birth, when he was still in his mother's womb, Mary, on that night when she was pregnant, looking for an inn, looking for a place, traveled all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem on a donkey. This Jesus, even in his mother's womb, rides on a donkey. This gentle beast of burden carries the savior of the world. And because his parents were poor, they could only afford a donkey. And it was used in this pilgrimage of Mary to say that this one who is carried will connect with the commoners. He came for all, but he has an affinity and a connection with the commoners and the ordinary people. He didn't come for the rich and powerful. He didn't come for the top echelon of society. He came for all. And that all can relate with him. All can identify with him. All are acceptable by him. And even before his birth, he's carried in the womb. And his mom is riding on a donkey. He enters this world being carried by a donkey. And he exits this world riding on a donkey. And he's saying to all people, poor, weak, oppressed, you can all identify with me. But also, he's also making a statement. In the same way a donkey carries burdens, in the same way a donkey carries loads, I will be your donkey. I will be the load bearer, the burden bearer. I will carry your load. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I will carry your load. And it becomes the perfect symbol of a savior who carries the load of the world. And so today, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who doesn't ride a horse but rides a donkey. Who doesn't use a sword but uses peace. The one who doesn't distance himself from you even if he is a king. He stoops down to the most lowly person. The one who can carry your burdens. The one who can remove your burdens. The one who can bring peace in your life. I present to you Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We read in Luke chapter 10 about the good Samaritan. Who as he was traveling came upon a man who had been beaten and left for dead. When the religious institution forsook this man, the priest came, look at this man, look the other way. The Levite came, look the other way. But this guy who was not a religious person at all, who was not one who had a covenant with God, a Samaritan who was considered as the scum of society. But when he saw this man who lay on the ground, he couldn't take it. He couldn't dismiss himself from it. He couldn't cut himself off it. And what does he do? He stoops down. Because you see, when you get close to the pain of a person, you can't just theorize about it. You don't write papers about it from your ivory tower. There's no way you can look at the pain of somebody where they are and never get involved. 
He stoops down, tries to care for the man, takes out his oil, pours it on this man, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to take this guy to the hospital, and he takes him and puts him on his donkey. And on donkey's back, takes him to be healed. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. With your wounds and your pains. With you being left on the side of the road. I don't know who has rejected you. I don't know who has said to you they don't like you. I don't know which society has ostracized you. I don't know what has happened to you. But there's one thing that I know. Jesus Christ is in the house today. He wants to take you and put you on donkey's back. Because he wants to care for you and tend for you. And heal your wounds. And wrap his arms around you. And love you. Because he's the king who identifies with the ordinary people. Even if he's a king, he loves the peasant. And the top structures alike. Even as a king, he loves all people and he embraces all. No wonder he said on that day, come to me. All of you who are heavily laden. Says, I will give you rest. Says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come as you are. Don't try to solve yourself. Come as you are. Bring all your problems. Bring all your burdens. Come just as you are. Don't try to deserve it. Come as you are. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And today, I want to say to you, if it is that you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, This is the day you can receive him in your life. Jesus Christ, the Lord who came on a donkey. And if it is that, even as a child of God, you're overwhelmed by life. You're going through all things. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink. Will you bring it to God today? Bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Oh, Jesus. Would you pray in the Holy Ghost just for a while? Pray in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Gia bom bonga nange kizi Go to the beginning. Utando luga baba. Utando luga baba.
When I was lost, when I was lost, all in myself, oh God, oh God, you didn't look away, you didn't ignore me. Oh God. Raise your hands and just pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Just thank the Lord.
Shall we all stand on our feet just for a short while? Just remain standing, bow your heads, everybody. You can put your hands down. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. I believe the Holy Spirit is in this house. Jesus Christ, the burden bearer, the one who will stoop down and look into our eyes and reach out his hand of love, hand of mercy. You are here today, you've been invited, maybe you've come on your own, I don't know. But as yet, you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord in your life, as yet. You haven't received Him as the one who can change your life, save your life, even if you may love Him. Even if you go to church, but you don't ever remember, ever, inviting Christ to come into your heart to make you a child of God. You are here today. And as you've been listening to God's Word, you realize, you know, I've been trying to work hard to gain God's approval when God has done it all for me. All I need today is... Acts chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 said, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart that he died for you, he was raised from the dead. That's all you need to do. And believe that he was raised, he died because of your son and he was raised from the dead by God. And that if you receive him as Savior and Lord of your life, according to John 1, 12, you become a child of God. That's all there is. If you don't have any assurance that you're really born again or child of God, changed in your heart, and you want to make that step, then take that step today and ask Jesus to come into your life and you need prayer. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it up. I want to pray for you. Just raise it up without any fear. Raise it high. Let me see. Just raise it up all over the place. Thank you for those hands. Yes, I want God. I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. Change me and make me a child of God. All right. Can I ask those who have raised their hands would you please just come from where you stand and walk to the front. Take your Bible, your bag, your purse. Don't leave your belongings behind. And those of you in the different churches all around, you walk to the front of that building. There will be someone there to help you. Oh, Panakia. 